It's cool we're finally doing this. I'm really happy. Yeah, oh. Like, cheers. Cheers. Oh, record good. Because I love people who like follow through with their shit. Mm. I remember like you telling me what you wanted to do, and then to be here and see you and shit. It's like, oh shit, you really like you did what you wanted to do. Thanks, and man. that's just the beginning too. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it also, that's like I'm like not a follow through guy. Usually, I give up on stuff a lot. Mm. And, like, the only thing that I've had any follow-through with is comedy and, like, sobriety. But other than that, I just quit everything <laughs> yeah, else. I was about to be like, I you followed through on one thing before. I quit, <laughs> I quit everything. So the, the, with this kind of thing, it's so... When, when I moved here to pursue this, there, it was not like, oh, that's just Nat being, like, crazy, go get it, Nat. Everyone was like, whoa. Like, no, it was not... Yeah. Within my nature. What have you quit in your life that you thought was going to be like it? I mean, like every job ever, every single job, be it something that I knew was going to be nothing or something that I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So like recruiting and at some point I thought I was going to do like insurance and like just all of these, I was selling furniture, like whatever had come school was, I've made a ton of uh, like resolutions but never a decision. But you weren't like delusional, like, all right, I'm going to be an acoustic guitar player. All right, I'm going to be a rock climber. I'm going to be like... No, but but there was a point when I was in like active addiction where I'd go to these like really dark places, of course, <laughs> and then I'd be like, well, the world doesn't understand me because like inside I'm this like artist. But this was before I did stand up or anything. Yeah. And I was not a musician. I didn't make any art. So I just had- <laughs> You just were like, I'm different. Yes. <laughs> you were like a girl who worked at Hot Topic. <laughs> exactly. I was exactly that. <laughs> and then I'd get all sad, but I was such a pussy. Like when shit was really bad with the addiction, right? I would do stuff like, I'd be like, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I'd like go to the kitchen. I'd grab like a butcher knife. And then I'd stand in front of the mirror and just go like this. <laughs> <laughs> like never, never do it never do anything never do it one time one time i'll be like, ah, like, like, <laughs> like i don't like the pain no, no. but there's so many times where i was like that's it it's that same shit never a decision it's the yeah. exact same thing but you wanted to get something out yeah <laughs> not to turn it to like yeah. a dark thing but it's like you didn't yes. know what it was gonna be yes. but you just wanted to get it out totally and comedy is also weird because and maybe this is just my thing, but like when I knew when I started, like seriously, I couldn't go back because like you're just saying stuff you can never take back. Yeah. Like literally the, I don't know. For me, it's like I've said shit on stage or in my podcast that I can never take back. So I have to keep going. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, I think that's, that's super legit. And I also think that's legit because it's like, um, if, if what you were doing was like all hypothetical or all and not rooted in any kind of like personal truth, then you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. You know Did, what I mean? So in the back of the head, you didn't re know that comedy was the art form. Well, no. So when, I mean, I didn't start doing comedy till like way after I got sober and then I 
I had bailed on a bunch of stuff within even in sobriety. So like when I got sober, I started working in recovery and I was like, maybe this is my thing. You know what I mean? I dig being sober. I dig helping people get sober. And then when you put the money part into it, like that started getting fucky, like the helping people with sobriety thing like that, that should be free. And so that's where it still works for me. And then my buddy helped me get my buddy, who, you know, we used to do the podcast, Andrew, he helped mm -hmm. me get like a recruiting job at sales experience, whatever. And I was like, Oh, the money's good. I'll dig this. And then I, I like, I hated it. And when, when the pandemic started, I just like, st I stopped working. Like people were like still working. I just stopped. And then I was like the first to get let go when our company was making like massive layoffs because there was no business being generated. And I was like, this is great. And then my next, I was like, whatever I do next, I'm going to like it. That was like a tangible. I just knew. But in the back of your head, like when you were younger, you comedy was never like the. So no, because I feel I never thought I could ever do all the cool shit that I liked. I just never thought that was like even at all possible. I was like, why even try? I was like, at best, I'll make a couple bucks. Maybe I get a family. You know what I mean? Why? I don't know. It's not for lack. Of, it's not like I wasn't being supported. I didn't have like a, a like unsupportive parents or anything like that. It, it was just that I think it we were maybe it's part of being like like Russian Jews or something. But it was like we were just always like hustling to get by. So I thought that's what you do. You just like hustle and you get by. You know what I mean? I never had the thought of like stuff being ever like really good. Because one, mm. we didn't have it. It was a pretty unstable environment. Like my parents did my best, but we we're moving all the time. We we're pretty broke. Always living in little shitty apartments and shit. So I never, so that wasn't instilled. I didn't have necessarily the clear pathway of like how to make it. Mm -hmm. And then the, the first time I started making money was just through selling drugs. And then I got really good at that because I had the hustle part. And so, but then it's like, even How then, old? like, I uh, like 13, 13 to 25 every day. That's, that was how I was making money. How old do you know? 30. Cause I'm 25 right now. So I'm thinking about yeah. when I was 13 yeah. to right now, you know, truly like I didn't stop, stop to like 27, but 25, I got sober and I was like, okay, this selling drugs thing is becoming increasingly difficult as I've gotten sober. But even then it was like, there wasn't, it wasn't like dreams. The only dreams I thought was like maybe having some money and not being broke. Mm. So when I started making money through hustling, all I knew was like, I'm never going broke again because you know, it's, it sucks so bad. So it's like, I'll just never feel that way again. And that's fine. As long as I don't feel that way. But I had no, like when I would see idols, like, and for me, the first, like, again, I think a lot of people feel this way. And a lot of people feel embarrassed to say, but the first dude I saw like crush. And the first dude I was like, this is amazing. is Dan Cook. That mm -hmm. was just the era. He was the dude when I was my, I was awake as like, he, I wasn't a toddler and he was the dude. And I was like, that's amazing. And then like Louie comes around and you're like, I, I didn't even know you could like do this. Mm -hmm. But I never thought like, it was like, I would love nothing more than to do this. But I never even thought, like, hit a mic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a crazy thing? Yeah. Like, people will ask me, I guess it's the same for everything. Like, 
you just have to do it in any way you can. Like, yeah. as soon as you start, you're good. Like, because I want to be like, it's just like comedy in the podcast. But it's like playing guitar, I guess. It's like yeah. if you just pick it up and start strumming it, you're going to figure it out mm -hmm. somehow. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Totally. Like, But that first step is the... <coughs> it's the like... Um, I talk about this a lot, but it's the... <clears throat> you have to have a moment in your life if you're going to pursue something, no matter what it is, that you take yourself seriously. Yeah. It's the Stephen Pressfield, the becoming mm -hmm. the professional, mm -hmm. which when I read that, I was like, fuck, I didn't like understand mm -hmm. it, but it's true. Like you have to take yourself seriously. Yep. And I, well, I also think that that in this field that I think people pick up on that pretty quickly. And I think just a little bit of a shift in mindset in terms of that thing, everybody notices mm -hmm. and um, it, it changes everything for yourself and your own personal relationship with your art and your craft. And also as you're perceived, like I tell my buddies, I'm like, why like act like you do this? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it, the worst is the worst is, and like everybody does it sometimes. The worst is like at a tough show where it's like a dead crowd or just some shitty mic or something. The worst is the guy that goes before he even starts. Well, this is going to suck. You know what I mean? Yeah. That like that, um, because all you're all they're doing is protecting the ego. If I've established that I think this is all a joke anyway, then when I inevitably do bad, it doesn't hurt as much. Yeah, like when I was younger, I would like shit on people. Yeah, like even in my head, I would like shit on them, be like, "Why?" Like, but now that I'm on my own path, it's like, oh, they're just doing. Like, I might not like their thing, right. but it's like I can't shit on anyone right. for drive. Like, right. right, I can't shit on anyone for wanting to take themselves mm -hmm. seriously. And that's why it's the best when you see somebody, you see the difference where like, you'll watch a guy turn a room around. It'll be a tough show. And everyone's just kind of before they even go on accepting their fate of this is going to be a bad set. And then someone just like tries to like yeah. address the crowd, open them up and then sneak some fucking material in. And then they have a good set and everyone's like, whoa. And you're like, well, all I did was not just believe I was going to suck because I know my jokes are funny. Yeah. That's all I did. That's all I did. And be like, hey, we can still have a good time. Even though the last three acts were tough. Literally. And I think, and of course, uh, we're both comedians, so we're talking about it in a comedy way, but I think that, and I feel like you could probably talk about it through sobriety, which, whatever, but it's like, <clears throat> the only thing that is holding you back is just that one, like, switch in mindset. Yeah. It's like a diet. It's like happiness. Mm -hmm. Like, if you really want to... I don't want to give mental health shit, mm -hmm. but if you really don't want to be depressed, mm -hmm. just start every time you think something bad, just think something good right yeah. after it and like change your mindset. It's it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an, and a lot of the times, and this is something that they throw around in, in recovery a lot. A lot of times the idea is move your feet and then your head will follow that mm. because like you can be in a tough place and it's, it's tough to just imagine feeling better but there are things that you can do even when you feel like shit. And it's not like, it's not like you feel bad and then you go to the gym and you instantly feel bad. That's not really how it works. At least in my case, it's like I go to the gym and it's like, okay, what's the next right thing? Maybe I call a buddy. Maybe I catch up with a family member. Maybe I try to rather than like sit in my shit, like see what I can do around the house. You know, I, I live with my girlfriend. It's like, I let her do a lot of the work around the house. Maybe I'll do the fucking dishes today. Next thing I know, I haven't been stuck in myself for the last three hours. And I've been just trying to do the next right thing. I was like, oh, I haven't actually felt like shit for three hours. Yeah. And now there's been that shift in thinking. Yeah. Maybe I'll go write a joke, you know, like. Get into that flow state. Yeah. 
I've just, and it's sometimes, and listen, depression's tough and it can be really tough, like for a lot of people, myself included, but it's about doing the right thing in spite of how you feel. All right. Yes, I do. So you're 13 and you start making money. Mm -hmm. How do you, and I know it's not as simple as like a a sentence answer, but how do you go from that to them becoming like, of course you were like an an addict, Mm -hmm. like using and things like that. Totally. Um, I'll, I'll run through it really quick, really quickly. January 3rd TV set show episode one on YouTube. There'll be a link, everything. We'll talk about it more later. Amazing sketch comedy series. Coming. Oh, yes, it is. Yes. You showed me one of the sketches already, and it's hilarious. I'll put the link below in the comments, but everyone go watch that. It's one of the few things, because you know you'll write a new joke, and then you're stoked about it, and like three months later, you're like, that joke sucks. Mm-hmm. This is one of the few things I'm like truly proud of. Like, it's a great project. It's going to be really You took fun. yourself seriously yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that, too. Totally. Yeah, yeah. totally. So that, watch out. TV sketch show. We'll talk about it more later. So 13 is when I start partying. I instantly start selling drugs as well. So I'm smoking pot, I'm drinking. And it was really crazy because before that, I wasn't like a super troubled kid or anything like that. Like the situation wasn't great, but I was a pretty decent student and I didn't really like have a lot of friends. I was like kind of, I was just kind of like a, a weird kid. I didn't naturally get along with other kids. And as soon as I got introduced to pot, Shit just kind of like made sense. So I was like, oh, this is just what I'll do. Like when I smoke weed, I can hang out with people. They stick around. (laughs) So I'll sell it. And so within like a year of being introduced to drugs and alcohol, now I'm like the neighborhood weed kid. Like I've I've like adopted the personality of the weed guy, the stoner. You got dreadlocks. Pretty much. I would just wear a dreadlock. I show up to school with a dreadlock. Wig. <laughs> yeah. Why you talk to me like that, Mr. Shapiro? <laughs> I call my teacher at Bumba Club. <laughs> so, and so like, uh, but yeah, so I'm just like that kid. And, and then all that really happened was I just, I didn't say no. Like I was like, I like the way I feel better when I'm fucked up. And so when someone would bring up a new drug or another thing or a new hustle, I would just be like, sure. And I would just always like the feel. I always mm-hmm. like the feeling. And so 13, I start selling drugs. Uh, so start selling drugs. I'm on drugs and alcohol. By like 14, I've missed so much school that they're like, you can either get held back a year and do your freshman year again or like drop out. And I was like, I'm not staying back here. So I drop out of high school. In freshman year? Go, I would have been going into my sophomore year. But I, get, I make it through freshman somehow all like D's and C's. Essentially, Just to say that's a crazy way for people to treat kids. Yeah. Like now that you're older and you look back at you at that age, you're like, you could have done anything to help. And <laughs> so, you want me to drop out a freshman? So to to be fair, I was very combative with my teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you were to ask me when I was like 16. That's not the Rasta life. No, I, <laughs> dude, I wasn't living the tenants. I was in, embracing in the fun parts, but not the parts where I had to do something chill. <laughs> to be fair... I re- if I'm remember like if I if you were to ask me at sixteen I'd be like yeah those guys fucked me, but I think when being really honest with myself I was like a shithead kid, and I think a lot of people tried for me. There's a million meetings with me and my parents. There's a million like them trying to figure out like alternative ways to counsel me, and every time I essentially was just like fuck you guys this is all bullshit. I was just like rambunctious, and so angry. Yeah, I was mad. I was mad, and. uh 
I so and that's and that's where like the booze and the drugs it was like just was better when I was fucked up. So I'm a dropout. I'm like bouncing all over the place. You're 14 years old. Yes, and then at 15, you're living at home. Yes, at my mom's place, and at this, and then I'm bouncing in between my mom's and my dad's, and then at this point, everyone's like, "What are we gonna do with the kid? Like he's fucking all this shit up." They send me to. I get accepted into this academy in Israel that was like, you finish your high school in Israel and then you join the army. Because if you spend, I believe it's over a year and a half in Israel, you automatically get Israeli citizenship. And if you're Israeli citizen, you have to serve. So that's like the plan now. That's my best option. I go over there. I get kicked out of that school in like three months. For what? Um, you weren't supposed to like be like, you weren't supposed to fraternize. You weren't supposed to have girlfriends. I like immediately get a girlfriend constantly like sneaking into my room, constantly getting busted with like my girlfriend in my bed, got into a fight where I broke my hand, failed multiple drug tests. <laughs> there was just like, there was like a pamphlet where on the back they had like all the rules and it was just like X, 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 You were just playing bingo. You're like, bingo. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was like, <laughs> and that's the thing is I remember this too. I remember being on the plane to Israel. I'm like, this is where things are going to change. I'm going to turn it around. Mm, so you wanted to change back then too. Underneath it all, I think everybody does. You know what I mean? I think when you really get down, it's like, but then- it's it's real change requires like honesty. You have to know where you're at, open mindedness. You have to like figure out what to do, and then the willingness to do it. I think the honesty was half there. I was like, I knew I was fucking up. The open mindedness. I don't think I was ready to take anyone's suggestion, and I definitely wasn't willing to change. So I was like willing to go there, but then they were like, Well, you have to stop fucking around. You have to play by the, our rules. Like, no, no, no. Like, you know how good a dick suck feels, right? Dude. <laughs> this was like my first legit girlfriend too. So we were getting into all kinds of crazy shit. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> Um, she was deaf. Yeah. <laughs> Can't hear shit. <laughs> he couldn't. And, um, and they have a different sign. I mean, you don't know sign language. She, dude, she didn't know sign language. She was just read lips. She like refused to learn sign language. <laughs> she was good with her mouth. She got kicked out too. We were for made sure. for each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah they were like, "Oh, you suck, Nat's dick." <laughs> like, get out of here. It'd be funny if it was just because it, it was nasty. Um, <laughs> like, like, ew, Nat. <laughs> like, you ever wake up and have one of those days that you just wish there was someone there to talk to, or a way to just figure something out that you can't in your life? And unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual like that. But there are things to help you out, like BetterHelp. BetterHelp has therapists that are trained to help you figure out your challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has helped 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, secure, accessible anywhere, and 100% online. Everyone deserves to feel their best. BetterHelp makes it easier to get started. As the world's largest therapy service, they've matched millions of people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. All the benefits of in-person therapy, plus it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. It's there, right for you, right there. So get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash bucked up. That's BetterHelp, E-H-E-L-P dot com slash bucked up, B-U-C-K-E-D-U-P. Make sure to get the help that you need with better help. Let's get back into it. <laughs> uh, the Americans. They kick me out. Uh, I'm just like, I, I moved to Florida. My dad moved to Florida while I was gone. I'm just out there. Like, odd job. I was a janitor at a Hebrew school. Um, f- just keep fucking around. Moved back to Massachusetts a year later, back with my mom. Are you doing harder drugs throughout these times? Yeah, so by the time by the time I'm like 16, 17, I've done Coke, I've done like Molly, I've done other stuff. The one thing I didn't do, because it was so big in my town, I never did like the pain pills because so many kids were falling out. Like kids were just dropping left and right. And it was like, that was how it was. Like if you like partied in freshman year in my high school, you like tried Percocet for the first time. Sophomore year, you can start to see the signs of, like, the kids who are going to have a tough time. By junior and senior year, there's a full-fledged pill junkies in my school. Some of them are dying. And so the writing was on the wall enough there. So I'm going through everything. 17, 18, I start getting into the, like, psychedelics, music festivals, all that shit. And at that point was the first time I thought, oh, like, this is my thing. Because I get to just go out into a field with a bunch of other drug addicts, make a shit ton of money, have sex with women, and everyone thinks I'm the man. And so, and then just listen to music at night. Yeah. So it was like literally perfect for everything that I wanted. <laughs> Making a shit ton of money, get a girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. Around 19, I'm literally making money hand over fist, traveling the country, going to music festivals, just living a crazy, crazy life for a 19, for anybody really. Um, and I was with some buddies and I tried Percocet for the first time and I, and I liked it. And then I didn't do what? it again. Uh, why did I do it? Yeah. I, everything. I was just bored of everything. I had access to every drug known to man. I had tried most of them. I was, I enjoyed like, I enjoyed just this insane lifestyle and it was like, why not at that point? I had forgotten. You like you've got this like built in forgetter, all this stuff that you know why, but I'm just not ready to listen. Yeah. And so um I tried it, I like it. And then I remember like and I didn't do it again. And then I remember a year later we were ordering me and a business partner of mine, who's still a really good friend to this day, he's also out of the game. Great guy. Um, we were ordering MDMA off Silk Road, like OG Silk Road, buying Bitcoins off of like uh, the guy who used to be the uh, like leader of the Bitcoin club at MIT. He was like farming Bitcoins in Cambridge. When I was a freshman in high school, someone told me, taught me how to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. And I just was like, you idiot. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd be like, what do you know? <laughs> we're getting them for like 30 bucks a piece. 
And with no foresight, no foresight of what they were going to be. It, I mean, it's pretty in the shitter now, but at the highest, it's, it well, was it, like right. And, and even from thirty bucks, it's crazy. It would be crazy. Um, so we were ordering MDMA off the dark web for like two dollars a gram because we were buying like a couple kilos at a time. It'd be like two dollars a gram. We'd go and flip it at music festivals or in our hometowns for minimum hundred dollars a gram. So the craziest ROI ever. We're doing super good. Um, and then we just start like, then we're like ordering other shit off the dark web. We're getting like, like pure blow from like Bolivia and shit. Cause it's everything. And then we had known about the stuff called dilaudid, which was, is it was like the Rolls Royce of painkillers. It's way better than like perks. Or everything. It's like the best one. What's it called? Dilaudid. Okay. They only give it to you if you're having like major, major surgery or like other stuff like that. And I tried it like once randomly when I was a kid in Florida and like loved it and could never find it again. I got sold a pill from like some dude actually outside of an AA meeting where I bummed a cigarette off some bum across the street from where I was being a janitor. And the guy's like, I got that loud. And I was like, I'll take one. And then I, I did it. Loved from it. From a bum? It was, yeah, essentially. It was like some like, just like washed up. Wait, I love how you're like, it's the Rolls Royce of painkillers <laughs> and I got it from a bum. Well, he was in a wheelchair and I was assumed he was prescribed it. And he was just a bottom of the barrel drunk, needed booze money. He was just like hanging out, smoking butts in front of this AA meeting. And he's like, do you want to buy a pill? I'm like, yeah, loved it. And never saw the guy again. Every, I remember every day trying to find this dude out front of that, outside that meeting. <laughs> we couldn't have gone like, too far. Dude, I couldn't have gone we far. could have looked at the bottom of every hill in town. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? It's like that David Talbot where he's like getting directions from a, from a, a toothless guy at the gas station in Ohio. And he's like, I, he's like, if I'm getting, he goes, if I'm getting directions from anybody, it's not going to be from a guy with one tooth. Oh, yes. It's going to be from a guy with one leg because he knows the, <laughs> the quickest the way quickest to get there. Way to get there. Um, that's a, a tell poster. They signed it. Oh, pretty wow. Cool. Pretty cool. Um, but, I, yeah, I but, love it. I have like a signed Bill Burr. I'll let you have yeah, 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 I have yeah. a signed Bill Burr poster. I skipped my senior prom in high school sick. to go meet Bill Burr. Sick. That's, that's fucking sick. Anyway, um, let's go back no, to no, the loud. That's sick. <laughs> so we, we ordered the dial out and I remember this vivid feeling, um, where I sniff it and, I feel so good that I'm like, oh, like this is the thing that I've been missing. It wasn't like, wow, this is crazy good. I should be careful. Like it was like, oh, this has genuinely removed any anxiety or like existential crisis that I was experiencing or pain or ang like it's all gone. This is like the first time I felt truly content, maybe in my whole life. I had a friend describe taking Xanax for the first yeah. time as that, and I was with her when she yeah. told me that, and I was like, I can never, because I feel so uncomfortable in life that yes. I know I could never do that. No. Or I'll no. be. Especially if you've got, like, a predisposition. Yeah, it's like. That's why I've never done coke. That's why right. I literally just smoke weed, and I'm a smoke hell of weed, right. but I just know that the second. Totally. So, and that's, that's what it was. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this must be how other people feel normally i feel normal yeah you know what i mean because they're just they seem to be okay and i just like i'm always like there's always something wrong and not with the delight i remember that and i remember being like oh i'm just gonna like i'm gonna do this and it was pretty much instantaneous that things had gone from okay nat's got a, clearly a problem with drugs and alcohol you know what i mean like he's getting blackout drunk he's doing dumb shit he's not advancing in his life he's not a able to maintain meaningful relationships like clearly something's wrong now it's like, this guy is just a, like a drug addict. Like that's, there's, that's it. You know what I mean? 
And so between and are people pushing you away? Yeah. 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 That's when stuff then, you know, I, I like lose a girlfriend with that where she literally must've given me the ultimatum three, four times where she's like, I see like you just get belligerent and like, I can't just be dating. Like she was like, like a successful chick. She's like, I just can't just date like a pill junkie. And like, well, that's what I am. And she's like, it's me or the stuff. And I'm like you, of course. And I'm just doing the stuff. So it's like, it just doesn't stop. And then from like 20 to 22, I'm just going broke because I remember having a, a pill habit. It was like a $900 a day pill habit. And $900 a day. Yeah. So how much is a pill at Delos? So we were doing, at this point, I'm not getting diluted. Silk Road goes away. I'm getting Percocet from a friend. It's essential. It's a very similar chemical compound. And you do 130 should put most people just on their ass. Like a Perc 30 should yeah. take care of most people. And it was about a dollar milligram at that time. So I'm doing 30, 30s a day. So 900 milligram, $900 yeah, habit yeah, yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah. And and the whole time I'm thinking, well, if I keep hustling, I'm fine. Like I make, make more than that. And then like the drive goes away, the ability to stay on top of clients and like go and make money. Like now it's just, I have to, I just physically am spending so much time like sniffing and smoking Percocet. <laughs> Like the actual amount of time. <laughs> and then, well, to, and then literally the way it gets, it, you get, you isolate so hard. Now I'm like, like I get kicked out of an apartment that I was staying at with some friends because they don't want to be around me. It's just getting so bad. Now I'm in a, like this like studio boarding house in Waltham off Moody Street. And it's just me in this place. And I'm just doing jams all day. I'm just doing perks all day. And I remember thinking like I'd get invited to go to some party or go out or like just hang out with friends. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, that's going to be tough because how am I going to do my shit? You know what I mean? So I'm like missing out on life because if I go outside, there's a chance I might not get to use the way I need to. Yeah. So I just don't go out. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's the, and that's it. And, uh, and I'm in the middle of a bad breakup. Like I'm super depressed. And then, I tried to get sober like a bazillion times. I come clean to some buddies where I'm starting to admit this is really bad. I went down to Carolina, South Carolina with my same buddy that I was hustling with. I tried to detox on his couch. I made it. It was like two weeks sober. And I was like, great, I'm good. Go back immediately relapse. Like, so same thing, just quitting any resolution. How long does it take you to be like, oh, he has a problem too. Oh, he's, he can't be helped right now. So, so, like, what's the time frame of like you start taking it to it becomes like so uncontrollable? So, yeah, when I, I as when I did that first allowed it, I just didn't ever stop. So it was I liked it so much that it was gradual, where the obviously the amount increases gradually, mm-hmm. but I just never stopped. So within like six months, it would be safe to say that guy's a drug addict. Like okay. within, within, and then I just find people who party the way I do. So I had a couple of friends like within that group that like, I, they were clearly fucked up and then we just hang out and that now dictates who I'm around and everything. And so there's all that. And then 22, I'm like, it's so bad. I try to get sober. I can't, you know, I'm constantly relapsing constantly, like some, some one thing or another. And like twenty, then and then I then I get introduced to heroin just because it's cheaper, and then I very quickly after that start shooting heroin, and now I'm like now it's like, you know we're talking about like small bouts with like homelessness. Now I'm like begging for money, you know what I mean like now I'm lying and stealing from people. Now I'm like, 
now I've gone broke. Now I like, I'm like fucking like scamming my friends. You know what I mean? Like just now it's like crazy. And we get, we're at that point where it's just like the closest thing I got to sober was I'd get like Suboxone, which is the medication they give you to get off of heroin, which is really just drugs in itself. All it does is it mitigates your withdrawal symptoms. But I know people who started taking Suboxone now, like they call themselves sober. They've been on Suboxone for like the 10 years. You know what I mean? It's, it's bad. So I'll always have some Suboxone around. When I start to withdraw, I take some Suboxone and then maybe I can make a little hustle, get some money for dope. And I'm just like always more or less completely broke and either dope sick, high on heroin or medium on Suboxone. That's the, my whole life for a couple of years. And the only time I'm like fucked up is like when I can pull off some scam. I remember this one time me and this kid tried to stick up a meat truck where this kid had a gun and he used to like, I've told this story before, but he used to like deliver meats and it was a cash business and he knew the routes and he went and tried to like, I was the getaway driver. He went goes to like stick up this truck driver. Apparently the truck driver was big as shit and rocked him in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. And like stole his gun. And shit. So he wasn't yeah, even scared. Dude, he, was dude, he, he wrapped up a shirt over his face. He's got like a balaclava on. He runs to go do this job, runs around there, comes back, no balaclava, no gun covered in blood. <laughs> like what happened dude? <laughs> you don't fuck with the meat truck driver <laughs> and he's like dude he saw me coming a mile away he started fucking laying him on me this and that and i'm like wait so did you not get the money because in my head i'm like oh so i'm sick today like that's all <laughs> yeah. i'm thinking about hey, we like, got no gun <laughs> that's what i'm saying the whole all i'm all i care about is like oh i'm not getting mine today so it's just pretty miserable existence wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy and then the day comes where i had a couple buddies who had gotten sober before it just gotten so bad that um, the way I describe it, I talk about this in meetings, I talk about this in recovery, I talk about this with everybody, where it, you know, when you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, you get this little bit of safety knowing that, oh, I've got at least enough stuff in my pocket for like to go to bed tonight or for tomorrow morning. And it had gotten so bad, it had been so bad, so like such a small life, so dark for so long that it didn't matter if I had come up on a big score and I had enough shit for the whole week to not worry about, I knew tomorrow was going to suck anyway. And I remember just waking up wishing I hadn't because because the, the sh- I'm not getting any joy from it anymore. I'm not like, there's no like euphoric sensation from getting fucked up. All it is is I'm not miserably physically sick. That's mm-hmm. the, the only effect that I'm getting from it. So, you know, it was just like, I just can't do this anymore. You know, I can't. And I called a buddy. He started telling me about recovery, t- telling me about the channels, made it to meetings. And uh, that's a whole nother story. But then I got sober. You know what I mean? That uh, shit got better pretty fast. Yeah. That's... Do you see... Or do you see, like, when we're walking around Austin and there's homeless, like... Do you see them differently because... Yeah. I mean, I see everyone differently. I learned empathy when I got sober. I see everybody... when I, Even... It's, I have, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for someone who struggles from addiction and alcoholism because I'm just uniquely situated to help somebody like that just by happenstance, just because of my life experience. It has like very little to do with me. But now with all the work that I've done and all of the kind of like self inventory that I've taken within recovery, when some, even when someone's just like seeming to be like a dick, I know that they're not. They're just, there's something wrong. They're hurting. Yeah, they're just hurting. I don't really see anyone. Is that hard then? Because. Yeah. 
that's actually a really good question because I, I think it's actually easier to go fuck that guy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But when you have empathy for someone who's yeah. hateful to your face. It's very it's, difficult. Um I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. It's a better way of life. But yes. It, it the the to to love your human brother and sisters no matter what is challenging and painful but it is the move the reason i thank you for telling me that story and the reason i wanted to know all of it is because it's funny you even said all right you said getting into it you just fell into it immediately like when you took the first pill you knew and then you go and you say sobriety things started happening really fast and then you say in comedy how year and a half yeah Things happen really fast. Yeah. It's like it, you were talking before about the your feet move before your head. Yeah. That's good or bad. Yeah. Like life moves quick mm -hmm. and a lot can happen in a year, good or bad. Yeah. And that's the mentality switch you're going to have to put in. Yeah. It's like, what is this next year going to be? Because mm -hmm. then, like, do you look back at that time like, do you remember all of it? Or is it a different lifetime? Is it a dream? Like... That's another good question. There's, there's, um, I remember a lot of it. I don't really relate with that person. You know what I mean? Cause it's not just that I feel like I've changed. I genuinely, and you can ask anyone who's known me before. Like I, I, I'm for, there's no better way of saying it other than I am a different person. Um, and I'm the person and I'm becoming the person that I was like supposed to be. And I believe you're going to be successful because of it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I feel the same way about yourself. Um, but it, it's, I, I, every now and then in a meeting or talking to someone, they'll bring up a feeling from back then that I remember. And it's so important to remember it because it is to some degree like the, a fuel that can keep you going. You know what I mean? Yes. And so, you know, they say that pain is inevitable, right? Like the life will happen. The suffering, that's an option. That's on you. Mm. You know what I mean? So you could, it's what do you do with that? And so I don't have to live in the guilt of my darkness because I've made the amends because I've thoroughly went and made it right. Do you ever, even for a split second, become your old self? Yeah, definitely. I think I wake up myself and then I have some like, you know, I've got some like pretty developed tools that I've been developing over five years in recovery of like, how do I bring it back to this like spiritual place that I need to be of that, like that loving, that tolerance, that compassion I think when I wake up, I'm this like animal self that just needs to get by still, right? And regardless of if it's, I don't, it's not a yearning for drugs or alcohol. I haven't thought about drugs or alcohol in like literally years. Well, I mean, I've thought about them, but and you're I've never, around, I've, I've never, and you're around yeah, them. The like, you see, I got like beers. Al yeah, yeah. I just under here for a like bomb. a show that yeah. I produce mm -hmm. that's BYOB, but, um, I've thought about drugs and alcohol, but never like wanting to do them. And, but it's not that it's where I wake up. I still wake up a selfish guy. You know what I mean? I still wake up 
what do I got to do? What do I got? And the more that I can bring it to this place spiritually, the way that like, like for lack of a better term, I know it's a, you talk about self-help, but the way that I think something greater than myself intended it. Your relationship me, with my relationship with God. Yeah. 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 And, and we have very different ones, but I have one right, too. Totally. And I, th- and that's, what's beautiful. I really think like, I really admire people who have relationships to something bigger than themselves. I call it God. I don't care. I have no opinion as to what you should or should call it. But what I love is that it's such a personal experience. And I love that we can have, I, I really, and that's why I tell guys that are getting, so I'm like, dude, I'm not here to tell you like how to get right with this thing. That's, it's your thing. You figured like, I can show you some of the ways to get closer, but like you, what your God is, what your higher power is, what you do with that guy, that is completely your business. And I love. Cause you that. found God through sobriety. Yes. And I, this is going to sound, I found God through a DMT trip. Totally. I was a lost person. Yeah. And that trip, I was found. Right. I was found. And I don't even like, I used to talk about hell on the podcast. Yeah. Because when you first experience something like that, you're like, everyone needs to know. Totally. At the Rogan show last night, I, he had a Q&A. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, when was your last DMT experience? I asked questions for a living. People yeah. probably thought I was an idiot for asking yeah. Rogan that. Yeah. But I needed to know. Yeah. And he wouldn't tell me when. Yeah. But he told me the same thing I felt in that moment. Yeah. And I was like, that shared experience, I was like, oh. Yeah. Like, I could, but I found God that way. Like, yeah, I yeah. was told I was lost. And when I did that, even if it's not a, it's like a near-death experience. So for sure. That's basically what a DMT trip is if you want to take spirituality away from it. Yeah, I agree. But that's how I found it, which is a completely different way. And some people yeah. will probably be like, why the fuck are you even no, talking and, and, about and it what's in that cool, way? What's, what's cool is that it's the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what's sick. And I'm actually, dude, I'm a huge proponent for psychedelics for those who don't struggle with alcoholism and addiction. I, I literally have bits about it because I really think they're a great thing that most people should do. Like, I really believe that. And I've had wonderful experiences on psychedelics. And to some degree, I think my experiences with psychedelics have, even before I got sober, I kind of came into sobriety knowing something else was going on. I did like what it was, was a really, I would think that I was like a spiritual person. Then I go like fucking scam my cousin. So how spiritual am I? Yeah. The difference was I knew that stuff was out there. But then it's like, what do you do with that information? Right. Yeah. For yourself. And you were in the position where you experience, you were able to take in and process this information and change the way you were. And you did something with that at that time in my life at that time, I could, I'd be like, wow, this is amazing. Like to know how small I am. And yet part of this oneness that is everything like at the same time, it's amazing. And then I'm still a dry. So I'd like, and then I just essentially wash away any of the light. That's what Rogan said. And I, whatever, I'll say it on the podcast. When I asked him, he said, Every time I get infinite knowledge <laughs> and every time I come back who I was. Yeah. And it's, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Because, like, what are you going to do? Who you are is what matters with the right. knowledge. You can read a book. Two people can read the same book. Shout out A.A. A- a- Rashid. Yeah. Two people can sit, read the same book, and one's not going to understand the message. 100%. Like. 100%. So that in mind was my hardwire switch. Mm-hmm. That was my big bang. My mm-hmm. what was? Did you have one moment yeah. where you were like, "Yeah, yeah, there was, um, there was." It was it was of the educational variety, is what we say, because it's a little more gradual. 
I didn't have like this singular thing, but I had a moment where I recognized the change. And they say in recovery, you're usually like the last person to see the change because it's like growing taller. You don't like notice it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you're just doing the next right thing just over and over, regardless of how bad you feel. So I'm like, I'm crazy when I get sober. Dude, I'm an insane person. You take away the th- one constant in my life this whole time. It was my best friend. And then I get here and they're like, you go to these meetings, you try to help somebody else, call your sponsor, set up some chairs, try to be nice to people, hold the door open. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, like just two days ago, I'm doing the craziest, most God awful shit. And then like, I remember, dude, I remember having such a tough time socially that I would take the train to and from the sober house I was living at to a meeting or to my job. And that was it. Just like sober house job meeting, sober house job meeting. I'd be on the train in Boston and I would have like loud ass techno music blaring in my ears to just drown out. Like just how fucking nuts it was to be me without all my drugs and alcohol. And I'd be horrified to like say hi to the train conductor when I'm tapping my card. And, and other people, they're like, you know, you go there and then like two weeks later, they're like, you're like, Hey, what's up, John? When you see your buddy and like, dude, two weeks ago, you were horrified of me. You know what I mean? That's the miracle. And you're like, okay, but you can't quite process it because you still feel sick and just little stuff like that. Next thing I know I can like, I'm just getting a little more productive. And I, I just remember you're having your feet move. Exactly. And then I remember specifically, I woke up, I was like maybe four or five months sober and I'd been praying. They told me to pray. So I'm praying, you know what I mean? And I'm one thing that I did recognize along the way is like when I got that first 30 day, I thought that I didn't think it was going to work. All these people are like, I know how you feel. I felt the same way and I know how to get better. And I'm like, I believe the first two parts, but I just have no data to support that I'm going to get better. I've tried and I can't. Then just through virtue, like working some steps, going to some meat, like whatever, 30 days pass. I still feel fucking nuts, but I haven't drank. And they'd be like, dude, you have to recognize that that's a miracle. And I like sort of can, but like, and then the time I'm like, I can't believe, cause I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. Cause if I'm going off the information I had before, I'm going to drink, I'm going to fuck this up. I'm going to fucking OD. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's going to happen based on the information. So stuff keeps, and then next thing I'm, where it really was crazy was I'm at sober like five, six months and I'd been making amends. So I'm like going and like taking ownership of what I've done to all these different people, all these institutions. I'm making amends. I'm making it right. And I leave it at like, what can I do to make it right? You know? And a lot of profound changes can happen then. And, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning, it's a nice day out. I like, I'm, I like go outside for a second. I like take in, it's, I think it was like fall. I'm like this nice New England fall colors out. I'm like, wow, it's really nice. And I'm like having my coffee or whatever. I'm just like kind of going through the day. I'm like feeling pretty good. And I was like, oh yeah, today's like Saturday. And I have my like home group where all my friends are at. I'm going to see all my homies tonight. Like t- this is going to be good. And, uh, and I just realized like a few hours into the day, I'm like, I like, I like, I feel good. Like, not like, okay. Like I feel like, like, okay. Like I've like, I feel like I can like do life. And I like, I'm like happy about where I'm at. I'm happy about like, I have stuff to look forward to. Cause that was like, I told you, like 
even if I had my shit, I had nothing to look forward to. And it was so painful. And I'm like, dude, it's been three hours. I haven't thought about killing myself. I haven't thought about drinking. I haven't thought about like how much I just like hate the guy that I see in the mirror. I will not say I like love that guy yet. That came, that comes to, that's a lifelong process, you know, but like that, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I realized it has been hours into my day. I woke, I was able to enjoy the sun and the leaves and like, I just couldn't do that, man. You know I mean? You could put yeah. a fucking Picasso in front of me. I'd feel nothing. And um, when you start to like really feel your feelings and recognize that change, for me, it like solidified the existence of something bigger because there, there just was no other, there's no way I could do that. There's no way. And, and that was the awakening. That was, that was, it was a profound, I'd been praying, I'd felt moments of levity, I'd felt moments where maybe there's, and then I'd thank God for stuff at night, thank you for keeping me sober today, thank you for the people I've met, thank you for the people who are helping me, thank you for the people that maybe I can help. And I would talk in, you know, just again, moving the feet. And then I'm like, the proof's right there. And along that time, I'd been watching it happen for other people. I was like, dude, I thought that kid, there was no way that kid was going to make it. He was so fucked up. And now he's like, we're like brothers in this thing. We're like helping out new guy. Like, and those kind of things, and specifically at that, that time frame and that day specifically, was where I was like, yeah, this, this shit, is, it's all real, the stuff they're telling me. How long ago was that? That was like five-ish years ago because I've been sober about five and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And that's cool. And it's funny, the way you talk about it is like stand-up fills that hole, but in a positive way. Yeah. You found the thing that when you were standing in the mirror, like, that was like, oh, shit, this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's all it is. Yeah. No one tells you, oh, you're a comedian now. You know, like, oh, you're a comedian now. You you got hired for the job. Mm -hmm. It's... Totally. You are that. It fills the whole, like, it is your purpose. Yeah. And that's why you work so hard at it. Yeah. That's what it should be, right? Like, it should feel natural. Yeah. Well, it's, I was just talking to some other comics about this yesterday. It was like, that, like, it feels like what I'm supposed to be doing, even at the worst parts. You know? Yeah. Everyone is going to have the doubts where you're going to have that one set that makes you question shit. Me at the creek the first night. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen to everybody. That's why I love listening. To the, the best is when you're like listening to like a comedy podcast of like, you know, some like, like some Mark Norman or some like late stage headliner. And he's talking about having that set five years in where he's thinking about, it. I'm like, Oh, thank God. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, to know that that's part of it, but it's really hard to bring yourself there after it's just, tough after a tough set um but it still feels like i don't know it just kind of always feels like where i'm supposed like the horrible mics you have to sit through fucking awful awful comedy for hours and then you do five minutes and leave like all of it the the hustling in between spots the fucking 
sitting and writing and being excited about a joke and then it bombs or hating a joke and then it does well and like all of it. But all that's it. the hustle of that's it. anything. Yeah. Good or bad. Like addiction isn't good, but if you're an addicted person, you have to get addicted to good things. Yeah. You really do. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's how my brain works. And it's funny you said the first thing in the morning is because that's my hardest decision mm-hmm. is the first thing in the morning. I ruin 70% of days with that first decision. Dude, it's real. Like, whether it be going my phone. Like, for years, for two years straight, I'd wake up, and before I looked at my phone, I would meditate. And I was the happiest I ever was. Why don't I do that now? It's, like, stupid that your brain does that for you. Dude. Take a sip of your big-ass water bottle. I'll take a sip of my iced tea. <laughs> Cheers. Um, it's, uh... So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very similar in that, like, the, what I try to make, like, my first thought is God direct my thinking. That's, like, the... Your mantra. Yeah, yeah. Or I just, I just like, think, I, like, say it. Like, I try really hard to not check my phone. I've been, what I've been getting good at recently is if I'm starting to check my phone, I've been catching myself. Mm. That's been, that's been a lot better. Yeah, I also, there was a point I just did not check the phone first thing. But I struggle with that. And recently, now it's nice because I, like, walk the dog first thing. And I just try to stay off the phone at that time. No so music. I have that, yeah, I try, I try to, like, sometimes I'll throw the podcast on. But I've been really trying not to. So I can just, like, have at least, like, just that 15 minutes clear. And then I bring my dog back and then I pray. You know what I mean? And that's like, I, I got to do that. And usually that morning process with the prayer, it consists of multiple things. So I'll read some of the program literature. I'll text some of my buddies in recovery specifically. I'll speak with a sponsee of mine. Um, and then I that, that whole like chunk, that's all like first. And you do that every day? Yeah. And when I don't, I feel it. And, and that's I, you're, I, you're like, you're really helping me, uh, uh, too. So thank you for this because I have a morning routine that I don't do, but when I do like, it's very different, but I wake up, I meditate, yeah, I do yoga and I journal. That's awesome. And like, it w- and try to work out after that. But if I don't, I, I like, I'm scared of journaling, even though it's the best thing for me. Yeah. That's why I hate writing comedy. It's like, I'm almost scared of what's going to come out. But like, why? I'm scared that it. Uh, I'm scared that it's going to be bad every time I write. Every time, and the it's that's the thing is that, you know, there's various exercises in terms of writing you can do. I can help you out. This does help me, but yeah, I would love some. But the, uh, but the, you're, you're probably not going to hit gold in the first ten minutes of sitting down to write, twenty, thirty, like whatever. And that part where you're just trying to, like, be funny and, like, think of something funny, like, I wouldn't, sh- like, I wouldn't show that to someone for, like, a million dollars. You know what I mean? Because you're, like, yeah. it's so different from the finished product or even by the time you get to try on stage. But those, like, preliminary moments of just trying to be creative are so incredibly painful because they're bad. But, like, Pressfield so talks about, uh, like, you trudge through, you know? Yeah. This, if this... Do you get embarrassed? Yeah. I get embarrassed alone at my computer. 
every fucking time. Every bad joke that I write, every stupid hack premise that just inevitably comes in or out, like every single time, I still get embarrassed. The amount of time I spend being embarrassed and just and not just moving on, that gets less and less. Mm-hmm. But there, I I think it, I think you have to have that for the stuff to get good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you need to have that 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 critical place that's very uncomfortable, but I think it's super necessary. All right. And then how did the, this is a jump, but then like, how did then you start doing these sketches, which you put all your time into? Thank you very much. Um, so that when you see it, it'll be out, check it out below. Um, yep. You'll see that it is like, it's, you, it's not just some like, Oh, let's film a funny sketch to put yeah. on. It's like, it's real shit. It's Thank something you, that Thank you. I think, and I know just how everything is. You never know if something's going to blow up right at the beginning, but it, it, it is something that will be looked back on or at with fondness. Thank you. Thank you. We worked super duper hard on them. Um, and I really appreciate all the support. Um, so those were, um, my buddy fuzzy kill G very, very funny comic here. Um, he linked up with this dude who really is, he's like the fourth member of like this, this group of dudes that we make sketches with. It's me and two other comics, fuzzy kill G and Nick Cox, both great standups. Um, and this guy, Nick Barr, who was, it was just like one of those things, the stars align, like he was a commercial director. He hasn't, like he's just an incredibly skilled cinematographer, director, editor. He's just a movie making guy and he loves comedy. And I forgot exactly the context in which he linked up with my buddy fuzzy liked him was like, Hey, if you ever want to do something, let's do it. Like, and we'll be partners and not, I'm not going to charge you for my services. And it helps a lot that the dude himself is super funny and like knows and just like has the eye like he gets it Mm -hmm. and he gets how to let us play and how like how to input as well like he's just great and fuzzy and nick had like wrote and shot a sketch and they were like anybody who wants to be involved can be a bunch of people were like yeah i want to be involved and that was the full extent of their involvement. Yeah. And so when I met with them for the first time, I had like three sketches written. And I mean, these are my homies anyway, but they were like, Oh, you're like, and they're all good. Like we filmed all of them. You're driven. Yeah. And then we just continued to bounce off each other. When we started to see what these sketches look like on paper, we were like, this is like fucking good. Like this is real. They were, it's really making us laugh and we're hypercritical as comics. And then when we saw the first sketch that we filmed together uh, and how it all came out after like a quick edit and like some refining, we were like, this is like way better than even we thought. The one you showed me? So the one I showed you is a pretty recent one. I think the first one that we shot together after like co-writing it was a sketch that will be in the second released episode. Um, that we're really stoked on. And then, yeah, we just 
we just made the time. We just made the time to do it. It's like it's one of those things where it's it's, it's just with comedy. Like the, it's when you get you you get your first pop. That's it. You know what I mean? Like that's what you're going for. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like we saw this was good. We kept doing it. Just kept investing time and money, and saw that it was like the stuff we were doing felt fresh the way we were structuring it where it's episodic rather than like sketch by sketch, like in the kind of Instagram reel method. And you'll see in the first episode, there's like, there's like a sketch that continues to play throughout the episode through bumps. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's like connected. So it's like, it's not just a bunch of sketches thrown at you. Like it's all considered it's pacing. It feels like TV. Yeah. And so that's why it's called TV sketch show. Because we have it all in this thing. Like, we have, like, commercials in it and stuff. So, that's... And then we just kept doing that. And I, as I'm sure you've come to find w- with the podcast and shit, I wasn't a guy who had a generally, like, wide bandwidth. I wasn't, like... I don't think, up until recently, I would have considered myself particularly, like, hardworking when you consider... I don't know, like, what my fucking parents did. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you know, it's just the different. And so, you know, your energy level. I, but the more I've been doing comedy, the more energy I get. Yeah. You know what I it's mean? Like, like, yeah, I was told I was a lazy kid growing up. Yeah. But then I'm like, I just didn't care about any of that right. shit. Really, humans aren't a battery. They're like a, they're, they're not like a battery that drains. It's like a crank flashlight. Yeah. Like, the more you crank it, the more it's going to work. You I love have that. to, like... I love that. That's a great analogy. But that's how I am. Like, if yeah. I want a lazy day, I'll have a lazy week. Because, right. But if I have a busy-ass week and I force myself to be busier, yeah. I'm going to fe- feel fine that yeah, whole yeah. week. I'm not lazy. I just have to put my time into what I care about. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Are you nervous to release them? Excited? Are you... I'm really excited about however it goes. I like fully and completely believe in the product. So that takes away any of my fears about like, you know, the stuff that I don't know about is like algorithms and release schedules and all that shit. Like that's outside of my control. I feel really good about the product regardless because I know it's of like of a significant quality and so, you know, we're doing everything we can to push it out. We're trying to promote locally and cash in any connections that we've made along the way like this. Um, and I'm happy to do this because I, I have always wanted to have you on the podcast to talk, but I wanted sure. to do it when it was right. Perfect, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. I remember having on your, on your first podcast. You were like our first being, guest. Yeah. It's and crazy. I had so much fun and yeah. I, I haven't gone back and listened to it, but I remember <laughs> that conversation very well. It was super fun. It was super fun. Also, just you were like one of my first buddies in comedy, period. So, and you were also a dude I would just always see. So, you you have to see guys like that. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, he's everywhere. Yeah. So, I got to be everywhere. That was Al for me, like Al Christakis. You know. He was, I I was like. Love Al. Amazing. And Brianna. Shout out both of them. They're the best. Amazing. Two of the funniest people in the whole world. Ridiculously talented. And they're uh, taking over. They're going on tour in January. Follow them. You should. Um, so it's just like, it just, you know, you got to see that. Yeah. You know, 
It's coming out January. January 3rd, episode one, TV sketch show is all of our social. We have, actually, I'll show you a TikTok that we just recorded. It's really funny <laughs> to for pr- promoting. We'll, oh. we'll drop it like on the 20th or something, or we'll drop it a couple weeks before the app comes out. But so, um, TV sketch show on all of our socials. YouTube is where the episode's going to drop. We're trying to push everything there. So you can follow us on Instagram. That's great. You can follow us on TikTok. That's great. All TV sketch show. But where all the the cash is at is uh, on YouTube and TV sketch show. All free. All hilarious. Subscribe. I'll put it below. And where can people follow you? Yep. And then me, I'm on pretty much only on Instagram right now. Need to make a TikTok, but it's nat.comedian. That's me on Instagram. I have all the all my clips that I post of crowd work and some jokes and my podcast that's called Slam Time Live. You can check that out on all platforms, Slam Time Live. Um, Nat Comedian on Instagram. I post all kinds of cool shit on there as well. Man, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Cheers. My hand's sweaty. I apologize. Peace out, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey.